You're here, which means that you've found spirit crumbs, leading you to your inner light worker. I will be sharing how these tiny little hints from the universe have led me to where I am today. I hope that by hearing my story and the stories of others, you'll pick up your own spirit crumbs along the way that will lead you to somewhere magical. Thanks for coming along for the journey. Let's see where it takes us. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Spirit Crumbs. I am your host, Andrea McCallum, and I am an artist and a healer. Today we are on week eight of The Artist's Way, recovering a sense of strength. Now, I know last week I said that last week's topic was not my favorite, and that is still true, but this week's is probably, I would say, my favorite chapter of this book, week eight. And that is partly because it is something that I've identified with as being my strength and why I've been able to pursue a lot of my creative goals and to move forward in my life in a way that feels authentic to me. And so this is probably going to be a longer episode. I also have a bit of a sidetrack thought that came as kind of a channeled download this morning when I was reviewing my notes. So that will be later in the episode. And it may be emotional at times. I honestly don't know how to predict it, but I just know how I feel when I'm reading this chapter and when I'm going over my own life as I do when I think about these things. And so I really hope that this one is impactful for you as well. It's a bit more, I guess, like deep in the concepts that are here, but they're also for me very clear in where they show up in our lives. And that is helpful for me. Anything concrete and like something I can apply is always, I think, what I resonate with more because as much as I like to think about grand concepts, I end up walking away thinking, okay, but how does that change how I'm already living, right? And the first section of this week is survival. And I think this is something in the grand scheme of things have had a lot of privilege in my life. And I do see that and I do recognize that. I do know that one of my challenges in life is this feeling of survival and like a lot of root chakra issues where I'm just for some reason feeling that like lack and scarcity a lot and I've moved through that a lot in the last year like quite a bit and at different times in my life in different ways and so something that is a pattern for many of us is some form of survival pattern that just keeps showing up where we just feel like our needs aren't being met or we feel like our existence just doesn't matter as much as it should, or we just don't feel that stability in some way in just our existence and in our like our support system in life. And for this, she talks a lot about in this chapter how we can apply this to our creativity and our creative dreams because something if you're going to be an artist or you know in whatever way that shows up for you creatively, you have to be able to survive a lot of things because it's not an easy path. It's not something that is clearly laid out for us. This book is helpful in terms of looking at where 
we might be stopping ourselves from moving forward. But in terms of once you're out there in the reality, there's going to be disappointment, but there's also going to be wonderful moments. But you need to acknowledge, like we've talked about before, that like it's not going to be you're not going to make your best work probably in the first year or so when you're just learning. And in that same vein, you do have to survive the loss of hope at times when things just aren't, don't seem to be coming to you, loss of money even if you invest a lot in something and it doesn't turn a profit right away, self-belief, and you're going to have failed attempts where you're going to do something and it's either not well received or it maybe breaks or you like actually lose something. You don't know what's going to come on your path, but it's how we turn those into strengths that we can move forward. And I think in a lot of these points that she's making, like I said, can apply to life in general. So I'm sure you might feel that you've already experienced this in some way, shape or form outside of creativity. And maybe that will help you be your strength moving forward in creative things. If you're like, if I've done this in my own life in relationships, I could also do this in creativity. And I think that's why this chapter really resonates with me so much because like I've said before, like a tower moment or, you know, a rock bottom is generally where I tend to make the biggest pivots in life. That's where I'm able to see like, I have nothing to lose at this point. And I think that's also why I feel that is a strength. Part of this, which I'm only now in this part of my life in this particular (laughs) Phoenix moment, I guess you could say, um, to do is to share those things. Because I think That's why it becomes a pattern for us is that we tend to hold shame and put it in the shadow when we have these moments where things don't work out and maybe we feel we've had a failure or a loss of some type. And it makes it so that we don't ever really fully move through it and we allow it to just harden and turn into a lump that just sits there and it keeps us from really wanting to go down that path again. There's a quote, there's actually, I think, a few quotes that I jotted down from this chapter that are just so potent for me in terms of how I receive them in my body. And this one says, because artistic losses are seldom openly acknowledged or mourned, they become artistic scar tissue that blocks artistic growth. And that's kind of the feeling that I was talking about just now is that It's like if you think of an artery, like the more that stuff hardens and sticks to one another and isn't cleared out and you don't make a change in what you're putting into that system, it is eventually going to get to a point where it bursts and you just give up or there's just no flow at all and it starts finding a new direction into maybe a less desirable area of life to go into. When you think of a career, we've talked about shadow artists and how you find something that's in the same general realm of of the art that you would love to do, but it's just in a more practical way, but it's not always as fulfilling. And this comes up again in this chapter a few times, but by suffering privately when things aren't going well and maybe if it's something that's been, that you end up abandoning, It's really not helpful to do that alone because our inner artist, I think we've talked about in other chapters, is kind of like your inner child. And what we can handle intellectually, like as an adult, like reasoning and saying, okay, well, maybe I should just move to something else or 
you know, trying to find a way to move past it intellectually, we can't really do that emotionally. And if you think of a child, they don't always have the tools to move through tough emotions and those can really get stuck. And so we really need to mourn these moments and just say to someone, whether it's another person in the create a creative field or your partner or a family member, a friend, somebody just in your community that you are close with and just say, look, this didn't work out and I'm really feeling it. And by saying that and sharing it with someone, you'll probably receive more support than you're expecting. And they may have a similar part of their life that they can apply and you can compare notes and see how maybe you have moved past something in the past and you just forgot about it. Maybe you've already done this before. And then you see that the person who you think is like so successful, if you start looking at anyone successful, they have probably have a pretty long list of failures before they got to that point, right? And sometimes we give up right before we're about to break through and do the thing, right? And I think you've heard this many times where in different ways and different quotes where you hear that, where it's like we tend to, when it's this, the biggest block sometimes when we move through that is where we find what we've been dreaming of and what we've been working towards. It's just it, that big block is kind of there to say, how much do you really want this, right? And when we're first starting out, we're not likely to have a huge, massive thing like that. But it's just a reminder that it often is a perspective shift and learning from other people and sharing that experience that really helps us to keep going. And another thing that we really need to survive in order to be some sort of creative artistic person is criticism. And we talked about this in previous chapters as well, but criticism is fine if it's something constructive that you can actually have like an aha moment that builds your strength and gives you more information about your work where you're like, yes, that is exactly what it's missing. Like, oh, I'm so glad you pointed that out. That would make it better. Those kinds of things might sting a little bit in the moment, but in the grand scheme of things, they help move you forward. And the more feedback you get, the more nuggets of truth you will find. And one of the things she says here is that we're not hurt by the truth where, or the things that we can't change, right? Like the things that you're able to heart like alchemize and use in some way moving forward it's the things that are more directly personal I guess where people just say they don't like it or say it's not something you should be doing we've said this before right those are the ones that actually stick with us and make us think that we specifically <laughs> shouldn't be doing this it's not the, about the work at that point it's about us and the more we can recognize that that's coming from the other person's insecurities and not about us and our work, the more we can really build up our strength so that we don't feel that as deeply, it can still be hurtful. And it might be a case of like having boundaries <laughs> with that person. But if we're not putting our work out there or we're not sharing these things with other people, then all we have to go on is that criticism. So like, for example, in school, 
if you only are listening to your your teachers and you're never showing your work or sharing how you feel or sharing how you feel about your grades with the people in your class, then you all you have to believe is whatever you get as feedback from your teacher. Whereas if you're talking about it and you're feeling good about your work when you've shown it to other people and then you have a discussion about the feedback with people and say, look, I did really poorly on this and other people can see good things about it and give you that constructive criticism to help you move forward, then suddenly that really bad failing grade just seems like a learning experience instead of something that tells you you should stop altogether, right? It's a perspective shift. And that leads us into the next part of the chapter called the ivory power, which she is exactly talking about that when we have people of authority who are the ones making us feel that we shouldn't be able to do this or that we're not as good as we think or that we should be at a master level already when we're just starting. And part of what she says here to me is just her way of saying that they're shadow artists, right? Like they're teaching or criticizing work at, for a living because they are not pushing themselves to do the work themselves. They don't want to put them, themselves in the place of being criticized. And so by criticizing or controlling students' work and telling them how the way they think they think it should be, that's a personal opinion. And they're trying to work vicariously through these students to have things look the way they would want their work to look, right? And that's not always a bad thing. Like I've had several teachers who were extremely positive, but it's just the example of knowing that that person of power, I guess you could say, like the authority figure may be coming from a different perspective than we think. It's not about us all the time. And so this way of subtly discounting or dismissing your work is again, like I was saying about the other unhelpful feedback, more dangerous than hostility and something very aggressive because we feel like they're being honest with us when they have that way of just saying, you know what, I don't think this is great. Whereas if somebody's just being like outwardly hostile and awful, you're like, wow, that person is behaving in a way that tells me it's not about me, right? It's about them and their issues. And so just trying to keep that in mind because we need encouragement. And in something, a really great point she makes is that in academia, when you're talking about creativity, it's something that's difficult to quantify, and yet we're expected to have marks. And this is something I encountered a lot, especially in the last year of my schooling, because I had completed all of my other requirements and did only artistic classes for my last full year. And so I was very immersed in this culture. And I was lucky that I had a fairly good experience. I did have a couple of professors and classes that kind of showed up in this power struggle sort of way. But for the most part, it was good. But something she says is this quote that says, to be blunt, most academics know how to take something apart, but not how to assemble it. And this conversation of deconstruction is so true of, I don't know how many of you have actually been in like an art class with a critique, a crit as we call them. Um, but the idea is to pick apart the work down to different pieces to like its structure, its composition, its colors, whatever 
work is, even in a film, you know, there's the plot, there's the characters, like there's always ways of picking things apart, right? We're not looking at it as a whole. We're really picking it apart and we're taught how to find the bad, right? To find what's wrong, to find what's missing. And I was fortunate enough to have some professors that, that taught us how to build things up and talk about how it's working and use those same tools to create a positive narrative, even talking about our own work. And so if you can do that for yourself and really pick apart the criticism the same way they pick apart your work, you can really start to narrow down on what is actually valuable and what is actually their opinion. And at the end of the day, it's like the grades in that situation, you know, the critiques, the reviews, whatever it is, are really just a moment in time, that person's perception, right? And it's not something we really have to move forward with. We need to move through it, but we don't need to like hold on to it. That's that idea of like hardening in the arteries versus like flowing through, right? And I think creativity in general is something that's supposed to flow through us. And this comes up a bit later in this chapter, but without the, these tools and the strength already built up, it can be difficult to come back from a really harsh critique and that is where shadow artists sometimes come from is they get to a certain point where they realize, I don't think I can do this or like, this is too much. And then they go to more commercial work or, you know, shadow artists or shadow careers, as we talked about. And she brings up, I forget what chapter it's in, but she brought this point up again in this chapter that it's often just the lack of audacity that prevents amazing artists from achieving the acknowledgement or fame of the artists who are famous, right? And it's just that confidence. And honestly, I think this is, in my opinion, why a lot of artists that are celebrated are cis white males. <laughs> they have this built-in confidence that they are good at whatever they do. If they believe something is good, it's good. And that's all that they need to know, right? And it's that confidence that people don't challenge. People don't challenge their confidence, right? And that's why they show up that way. And you find years later, like there's female artists who are just now being celebrated because either they couldn't, you know, find a place at that time, or they didn't have that confidence to just force their work into galleries whatever the case may be, right? And so keeping that in mind, just remembering that because someone is famous does not mean necessarily that their work is the best, right? If you really pick apart a lot of different artists that are out there, like if you look at Jeff Koons, um, if you Google him, he has a lot of very like simple things that are just really big and really shiny and you know, he's made millions of dollars off of these like really simply manu manufactured things. Like he doesn't even make them himself, right? He has them manufactured. And so it's just that audacity of being like, look at me, I'm here. That usually gets you noticed, especially in something like creativity, right? It's just how you present yourself. That's literally what, what gets you noticed, right? Is how people perceive you. And then, yeah, like at a certain point, like, we do have to just acknowledge that maybe things didn't work out how we planned, but instead of really like feeling that self-sabotage and tearing ourselves down for like how much time we've wasted or whatever the case may be, it's not really productive. We need to just keep building our own strength up 
and recognizing that like our unique path is what makes our work unique is what makes our expression unique right and so life is art as they say right art is life <laughs> it's just like the people who have the most moving pieces are often people who have experienced their life to the fullest and so the time it takes for you to create art from that doesn't really matter and then the last section here, well, I don't know if it's the last section, but the next section is gain disguised as loss. And so this goes back a little bit to what I was saying about really taking the loss and moving it into a way to gain something from it. And the questions she asks are like, how is my work being directed by this feedback or by this loss or by this failure? You know, and then I was thinking, like, is this a pattern? Do I see this happening a lot with things where maybe it's a time to look at it and say, did I really try my best? Did I really like push the idea as far as I could have pushed it? Right. And really just keep reaching for what it is you want and try a new approach, because sometimes it is just that you maybe have been doing the same thing over and over again. And now you have to try something new and be open to that feedback and really just asking like how I can move forward instead of like, why me? <laughs> why is this happening to me again? Obviously, if it's happening to you, there's something you can learn from it, right? And asking what you can do next is a lot more productive, as she says, than asking why something happened and like why it happened to you, right? Like, it's all about moving forward. Obviously, like she said, you need the time to mourn that loss. It's not like you just jump right into it. But at some point, it needs to be a more self-reflective process. Another quote here is, I have learned that the key to career resiliency is self-empowerment and choice. That is something that I'm going to come back to a little later as well, but it's true. It's like the more you can really just start to build yourself up and know that you have done what you set out to do, regardless of how that's perceived by others, and really sticking with that and choosing to show up, choosing to find opportunities for your work to be seen, choosing to share it. Choice is so important. And I think that the way she describes it here, like that resiliency is part of it, right? Like even if you do have other people telling you that they don't love your work, maybe you don't get the job, you don't get the show you want, but at the end of the day, if you keep showing up and keep saying, yeah, okay, that's fine. I know eventually I will find the place that my work is received well, or I will learn more about my work to move it forward in a way where it can, it is, it is its time to be seen. The idea is movement is <laughs> always like talking about this so much, but choice and action, it's tiny things like little, little choices can make such a big difference. And she talks about how it's harder to hit a moving target. So if, you know, if you keep doing the same thing over and over again, and you're not getting good feedback, yeah, you're going to continue to get not good feedback because you're not moving. They're coming right at you, right? Whereas if you keep trying new things, chances are eventually you're going to get through one of those gates, right? Um, you're going to make it through and you're going to be seen if you keep taking action from the feedback you're getting. Actually, we're, I'm just kind of laughing because on the next page, I just turned the page and it says the key is action. <laughs> she literally says that in the book. And it, she just says that like, 
especially when you're faced with a loss. Like that's what I was just saying too, is like, that's a good time to make sure you're still moving because it's, that's when it's the easiest to give up. So the more you, the less time you give yourself to stay stagnant, the better. And she also makes a point of saying that this is a good time for an artist date. So when you're feeling really down, go somewhere that really inspires you. Do something that makes you feel like creating, right? So it doesn't mean you have to rush into a new project, but just going to a gallery or going somewhere that really lights you up, going to a movie, going to a play, doing something that makes you feel good will get you at least feeling like it's there's some hope, right? Okay, now this section, age and time, product and process. I could talk about this all day and I have probably talked about this on other episodes, but she starts out with like a question and an answer. So the question is, do you know how old I'll be by the time I learned how to play the piano? And the answer is the same age you'll be if you don't. And I have talked about this a lot in life. I don't know how much I've talked about it on this podcast, but the idea that you're too old to do something or that it's going to take too long to learn it. I have been in situations where I chose not to do something for that reason in the past. But for the most part, if it's something I want to do, I honestly don't think about it too much before I do it. If I know that it's something I want to do, because like, for example, I went to art school when I was almost 30. I think I started the first semester that I did interior design before I transferred when I was, I think, 28. Yeah, I was like almost 29 when I like started school the second time I'd already done college once. And again, it's another thing where people are like, I've already gone to school. I'm not going back. Yeah. For some people, it doesn't make sense. And that's totally, totally fair. It's a huge commitment and it's hard, but I got to the point where I did things backwards too, which I was saying to someone recently, I didn't realize how kind of out there it was to go back to school for art at a late, like a later age was like, I know people usually go back to do something more specific. Like maybe they do an art degree and then later they go for, you know, film or they go for animation, something specific after. But I kind of did did it backwards where I went to school for visual merchandising arts and I did learn graphic design, home staging, interior design, all drafting, all that stuff at that time, which was amazing. But I ended up in visual merchandising and I got to kind of the goal I got, I wanted and realized it wasn't all I had worked it up to be in my head and it wasn't enough. And I needed to have more possibilities because the idea of going back to school again for something specific felt really limiting because it was like, what if I do this again and I do the other thing and I get what I want from that. And then I want to move on again. Right. The idea that there's a certain age you get to where your time is up and like you've used up all your second chances, right? Like it's just insane to me. I just don't see how that's realistic. Obviously there's financial and other reasons why people aren't able to do that. And that's a hundred percent understandable. And I'm not saying that every person has the same privilege that I do either. Right. And it's not that I'm like overly, not like my family was like rich and I just had money rolling out there. I have debt. I'm in bankruptcy. We know this. But at the same time, when it is your choice and you choose not to, that is where 
the limitations don't make sense, right? When you're trying to build up a case against yourself and you have to justify why you're not doing something, that's when it's a clear sign that it's just you, right? Like if it's something that's a genuine thing you cannot do at that time for whatever reason, you'll just know that. It won't feel, you won't feel defensive about it, right? You'll just be like, well, this is the way it is. But when you know that you're holding yourself back, I'm laughing because I've done this so many times where you almost have to justify why you're not doing it because you know you should be doing it, right? You know that feeling. And part of us just doesn't want to be a beginner. And we feel like we have all this life experience. We should be further ahead. But realistically, the life experience just means that you're going to care more. Like I saw that so much when I was in school that like, yeah, there's some students that write, you know, are young and they just really, really care and they want to do it. But in some cases, it's just they're there because they can be right. <laughs> and they're like not really all that committed. They do the bare minimum and that's fine. They're there for the experience, right? Whereas I was like, I want to get as much as I can out of the parts that I care about while I'm here. I want to do well. And I want to come away from this feeling like I have skills I can use, right? But on the other side of this age thing is that we say, I'll do it when I retire. And it kind of gives us this like dichotomy of like, in order to do something really big and follow a dream, you either have to be really young and foolish or, you know, old and out of the realm of responsibility, right? Where you're now just in your own time. And both of those extremes makes it really sad because that means like the whole life you have in between is supposed to just be doing responsible things and it's too late for you now. You had your window. You have to wait for the next window when you're retired. And actually I was just watching a show with my brothers last weekend and it's called a hundred humans. And they do like just different experiments with people. But one of the points they made is that there's like a U shape that happens in our life for like our fulfillment and how happy we are and how much we're enjoying life. Where like in your twenties, you're like at a peak cause you're just like exploring and doing, you know, fun things. And then in your sixties, it picks up again. But in between, it's kind of like there's a steep decline to like the 40s, I think. And then it goes up a little bit and goes up after 40. But 40 is kind of like the rock bottom. And like you can understand that if somebody's like in a career, maybe has a family, it's like the height of responsibility. I get that. But I also feel like it doesn't have to be that way. That's just the way our capitalist society is structured. And now we're learning, especially like right now, is so exciting to me to watch seeing all the people that are now in a career that's like this typical, you know, doing what you have to do kind of career. But now seeing all these possibilities for other things they could do and working from home, finding a balance, finding ways to have time for hobbies again, baking bread on a Wednesday, right? And like, it doesn't have to be that steep decline. That's a choice. You choose to subscribe to these contracts and positions and accept what that trajectory is without questioning it or without checking in with yourself at different points. But it doesn't have to be that way. <laughs> and something that goes back to that idea of creativity being a more fluid thing there's this quote that I absolutely love. Like I sat there and just stared at it for like a solid minute. 
and it says, creativity occurs in the moment, and in the moment we are timeless. And like, when you think about that, it's true. Like when you're doing something really creative, the time just flies by. Like there's no, there's no real knowing when, what that timeline is going to look like. You don't know when it's going to be done. You don't know what that finished product is going to look like. You're just doing the thing. And that is where creativity lives because once it's a finished product, the creativity is gone, right? Like it's not gone. You can see the out put of it, but you can't see the creativity in motion, right? Their creativity is only happening in the flow. And that's why, like we say like that there's this joy that happens there and why people will say like, I feel like I'm a kid again when they're doing something creative, because it's only when you're a kid that you're really allowed to do that just for fun, right? Like you're not allowed to just play and have fun when you're an adult, right? It's like, if you're laughing at work, people are going to be like, are you working? <laughs> like you're going to get in trouble. Like, um, excuse me, do we all have a free time now? Like that whole thing, like if you have time to lean, you have time to clean, like all these things. Like and I've been in work situations where like it's benefited me to just follow the rules and without really being extraordinary at anything, just being able to follow the rules and see how things work and then having that work in my favor. But that doesn't work in creativity, right? Like you have to be able to just flow with it and be in the mood. Like, you know, when you're trying to like do something creative and you're just not in the mood and it just feels annoying, right? <laughs> like you have to really be in that flow for it to work out into something so that the product reflects that. And yeah, like the, the idea that the focus is always on how long it will take to learn it is always so peculiar to me because it's like, I was thinking about this, like while I was reading this, like feel about, think about last November, like November, 2020, how long ago does that feel? It feels long ago, but also it feels like it just happened, right? Like that happened fast. Like how was it already November again? I feel like we were talking about, you know, the end of 2020 last week when really it was a year ago. And so if it can happen that fast, wouldn't you rather have been learning something new and gaining a new skill in that time? Like wouldn't you have like right now, I feel like if we think about it, when you think about one of the skills you have wanted to learn, wouldn't you feel better now if you had a new skill at this point that you didn't last year? Like I think about that for myself, like if I had not done any of the work I'd done in the last year, if I hadn't taught myself, like I started my podcast in January, if I hadn't learned how to do that, learned how to edit, gotten really into it, really kept that promise to myself and showed up whenever I could, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. Like most of my business is podcast editing. And that again was making a choice in the moment when I had the idea to actually do something with that. So that is just a thought, like to focus on the final form instead of the process really doesn't do you any favors with creativity because there's always more to learn. So like, you're never done. You never just like, I'm like, yeah, no, I did that. Did the creativity. You're always doing it. And every time you do something again, you learn something from it because you are a different person doing that thing. I get very philosophical in this chapter. <laughs> okay. Also another just side point with like the process is that in university, I could have taken drawing, painting, any of those things. 
but I specifically was drawn to sculpture and printmaking, which are very heavily focused on the process. You have a lot of steps to go through, especially printmaking. I freaking love printmaking because let's say for intaglio, it's long. A lot of people did not like that. A lot of people in my class were like, I hate doing this because you have to sand the plate. Then you have to like degrease it. Then you put hard ground on it, let that set. Then you etch into it with a like etching needle. You draw the picture in. Then you go to the acid bath and you actually put it in nitric acid. And in order to get the steps of like the etching, because if you're doing line work first, then you have to do a different time for each shade. So you do this a bunch of times. And then if you're adding aqua tint, which gives it like texture, then you have to like stop out each section to get the shading. So this can take like a long time and like a lot of different times doing the process until you get the desired outcome. And that's just like to get the plate done. Like that's not even like starting the printing yet, right? Cause then you gotta like clean off all the hard ground, degrease it again, like get it all set to go. Then you have to ink the whole thing, then remove the ink from all of it, except where it sticks into those lines you've etched in with the acid. And then you have paper soaking in the meantime. Then you take the paper out, blot it, put the paper on, then run it through a press, and that's one print. And when you're doing printmaking, the idea isn't to do one. The idea is to do an addition of, let's say, like five plus. And you might have to make 10 of them because you could do five of them that don't even turn out the way you want. And so like if my focus was just on the end product, that would not be where I'd want to go, right? Like if you want to maximize your time and you're like, I just want to have finished products, that's where you go to like screen printing where it's like really fast, right? It's just like you shoot the screen, print, 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 each layer, done. And that's why they leave that till last in print one, well, because it's a good thing to end with after you've had these long, long processes. Whereas I loved Intaglio, I love that, like having to work so hard and then finally having this beautiful thing at the end because you can feel into how much time is in one of those images. Same with litho. A lot of people did not like lithography, like we did stone litho. And I really, really enjoyed that. I liked the long process. I like seeing it at each stage and being like, oh, look, now we have this. Oh, look, now we have that. Again, like there's that, that's where the creativity is happening. Like, yeah, it's great when you have the finished thing to look at, but I just like knowing how much time went into that, right? And I liked doing the thing. Cause then when you're done, it's like, okay, <laughs> now I have to start over on a new one, right? I like being in it. I like living in that project because then when you decide that that edition is done and you've closed that edition, especially in printmaking, you don't redo it, right? Like you don't say, oh, those sold well, I'm just going to run a bunch more because whoever holds those prints, um, this little art lesson for you, whoever has a print where it says like edition of 20, like you'll see on the left-hand corner of most like printmaking prints, it'll say like the number of that run, that edition. And so you're promising that person that the value is based on the fact that there's only, let's say 50 made of that print. So then as an artist, you can't go and then print 50 more of that unless it's like a completely different color or like something that's so different and then you still have to kind of like indicate that that's a duplicate edition right so like it's very complicated but it's just what i love about it that it's like it's so precious you have to be physically in that process of making 
to be in that project. And then it is kind of like a closing off where you're like, wow, goodbye to you play. I'm almost getting emotional. Like I'm not even doing it. <laughs> Just thinking like, okay, now this plate is like essentially like retired, right? Like it's like, no more of you. I already made as many as I could. That's it. <laughs> and so I always had a lot more additions than most people, like a lot more in my edition because I didn't want to be out of that process. Right. And then like, once you let go of it, then you're like, wow, look at all this stuff I did. Anywho, that is just my side rant. But I feel like that's because we really do want to start something new. And there's that feeling of, I don't know, like at any point in your life, it's always fun when you learn something new. And so thinking that you should have done it already and that you can't start now, to me, doesn't make sense. But again, my Jupiter is also in Aries, which is like <laughs> jumping in and having good luck when I start something new. But I also know that that can happen when you just do it on smaller steps. I may take giant leaps and quit my job and go back to school. You don't have to do that, but you could take a course. You know, you can do a little bit of experimentation. And this other section she has here is called filling the form. And so this is exactly what I was just starting to say. It's like, I know this or something. Um, she says that it's just doing one step at a time, just doing the next right thing. So yeah, you don't, and she even says in here, which I forgot about, she even says like, you don't have to take a leap. It doesn't have to be a leap. It's just like doing the next right thing and doing it when you want to do it, not waiting for this particular time when it will be the right time. She actually says, fantasizing about pursuing our art full time, we fail to pursue it part time or at all. And that's true. Like, like I said, not everyone is like me and just decides to take a giant leap, but the decision to start and then following through with that, like if you're here, if you're in week eight, you've been listening for this long. If you've been doing morning pages, even most mornings, that's great. That's a commitment. That's starting, right? That's getting the creative juices flowing, as they say. Instead of, instead of like signing up for the class or clearing a space for you to work or writing a few pages, we tend to like focus about thinking so far in the future, like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to move. I'm going to need to be a part of an expensive studio to do this. All these huge things. It's like, the phrase that keeps coming in my head is like, start with a little hop before you leap. Like, just try it out. Do a couple actions that you would if you were doing this. You don't have to, like, always be thinking that far ahead. It's like, it's okay if today you're just sketching. If today you're just doodling. It's fine. Do something. But you're not going to get to that end result if you don't do the process. That's, like, just a fact. Um, and then the other point she makes around this is that we just need to work with what we have. And that's why small actions can lead us to the larger things, because it goes back to the point we've made before about how, when we do start to take actions and trust the universe, bigger things show up, opportunities show up, the right people and teachers and connections show up, right? And so that's why it's like the actual action that makes a difference. She says here in a quote, when we allow ourselves to wallow in the big questions, we fail to find the small answers. 
What we are talking about here is the concept of change grounded in respect. Respect for where we are as well as where we wish to be. And that's kind of how she leaves the chapter. It's like you just have to be like, yes, see where that end goal is, but also enjoy where you are now because you're in the process now. Thinking about doing the thing is part of doing the thing. You're, guess what guys? Right now you're in the creative process because for me, to be honest, as a, an artist and I had to learn that this was normal and stop comparing myself to others, I have a lot of my process in my head before it actually comes out. My brain is processing things and making up different like versions and ideas for a while before I actually start physically experimenting. So you may be like me, like I don't have a lot of physical experimentation time because once I'm in it, I'm in it. But I have a lot of upfront, you know, imagining that happens before I actually get into what it is I'm doing, into the actual prog progress of creating the thing. So this chapter has another patterning exercise where it's like a fill in the blanks, but I'm actually not going to read this one because to be honest, it feels very similar to the earlier ones. <laughs> so I'm not going to read those. There's also some affirmations, which, you know, also not anything groundbreaking. But what I am going to talk about is the tasks this week, because I really do feel like it's helpful in terms of what we've been talking about in the episode. So the first one is a long one that has different steps and it's about goal. It's called goal search. And the idea is you just pick one big dream or goal. You think of it, what it is and imagining it in detail as if it's a reality. And this is something that's just in general for manifestation, very helpful. I do personally think this is a great activity. So here's the steps. Number one, name your dream. You have to actually write it down and you can start by saying in a perfect world, I would secretly love to be blank or to do blank, whatever. Next step, name one concrete goal that signals to you that it would be accomplished. So you're going to call this your true north. And it has to be like a very emotionally, like something you're emotionally attached to. So for example, she gives the example that if two people wanted to be an actress, one person's like true north could be having an article in People magazine featuring them because they really want to feel like they are glamorous. But the other one, they may want a really good review in a Broadway play. So to them, like being respected as an artist is what's important to them. So it's that respect. So figuring out what it is that would be very concrete for you, like what that thing would need to be for you to feel like you accomplished it. The next one is you would say, where would you like to be in five years in relation to your dream and this true north? And then the next one, which I love, in the world that we inhabit now, what action can you take this year to move you closer? This is giving me like literally my heart chakra is like excited to my sacral. Like this is such a good question. Like just one thing you can do this year and it can be something you do consistently or just one big thing. The next one is what action can you take this month, this week, this day, right now? And then number six is to list your dream, list its true north, 
and then select a role model. That's kind of like your general, this is what's, this is where I'm headed. This is who I'm going to be. And then you make an action plan for those different time frames. You're going to write it all out very clearly because you're going to be probably scribbling for the first few. But this is where you're making it very clear, very like you can make this on a sheet of paper, decorate it, have fun with it and then put it somewhere. Right. And so you're going to have five years, three years, one year, one month, one week and now. And then you're going to choose one. You're going to do it. So listening to this can count as your right now thing. But you can also make a commitment to, you know, get a book, sign up for a class, watch a YouTube video, whatever. One quick thing you can do. So that is the activity of goal search. The next one is new childhood. So you can imagine your ideal childhood and how this could have turned out and made you maybe be in a different direction. And then asking yourself how you can reparent yourself in that direction now. How can you give yourself that support? And then number three, color schemes. So this is kind of just a fun creative writing thing. You could do this as your artist pages for the day and you pick a color and then you write as the color in first person, like you are the color and you'll say like, I am whatever color and then describe yourself. And then thinking about like what your favorite color is, what do you have that, that, that is that color? Do you see it anywhere around you? Could you imagine yourself like being surrounded by that color? Just kind of putting yourself in the mindset of like how that color makes you feel. Number four is list five things that you are not allowed to do. And these can be like extreme, like kill your boss, scream in church, run outside naked, those like massively crazy things. And then do it on paper, like write it down, draw it, paint it, whatever. And then put on music and dance it out. So this sounds wild, but I feel like physically moving these things through our energy, things we can't do, but would make us feel some, in some way, weird way satisfied. That's kind of what that one is. And then the next ones are all connected. So I'm just going to read it as one because for me personally, it's annoying to make them separate. <laughs> so it's called style search, which honestly, I don't know why, but we're going to call it ideal day because most of these are based on that. So you're going to list 20 things you like to do, which we've already done once before or more for each one. You're going to ask, does it cost money or is it free? Is it expensive or cheap if it costs money? Do you do it alone or with somebody? Is it job related? Is there physical risk involved? Is it fast paced or slow? And would you categorize it as mind, body or spiritual? Then you're going to plan your ideal day. So your day, a day in your life using the information from those 20 things. So if you were living this ideal life, what an ideal might, day might look like in that life, just your ideal dream, like maybe go back to what your dream was that you listed and an ideal day there. And then choose one part, like something that seems fun out of that day and do it now. So it could just be like, maybe your ideal day, maybe your dream would be to live in Rome. Like she says here, 
but you can't do that. So you have a homemade cappuccino and you get a croissant. So just finding some way. And it brings us back to abundance, like that sense of luxury, that everyday luxury. For me, that's what this brings to mind. And so just doing that. Now, we're already pretty far into this episode, almost at an hour. But I do want to just share something I thought about earlier today. And hopefully it will resonate with you too. It's talking about kind of going back to that idea that like, we have to make choices, right? And this is talking about myself, like this is like something I have learned is that I have a certain amount of privilege, but that doesn't mean I don't have challenges, but most of my challenges are from programming and my own limiting beliefs. And this is true for many people. We sometimes feel that if we don't have significant roadblocks, like we don't have actual things that are systemically stopping us from doing what we want to do, we really cling to the struggle and pain that we have experienced because it's easier to identify with this story of like being in that victimhood stage as the reason why we haven't achieved our dreams. It's really difficult for us to come to terms with the fact that we just haven't tried or that our choices are the reason that we haven't pursued our passion. And that's where like when I was talking earlier about how we feel like we have to justify why we haven't gotten there yet, especially if like, you know, I was known as a fairly creative person. I took art through high school. I did a fairly creative first uh, college course. And when I would talk about like, you know, drawing or whatever it was I liked doing and someone would ask me like, oh, why don't you, why are you not doing that more? already or why are you not pursuing that more and I'd always have some reason like oh I can't afford to right now or you know I'm trying to pay off my debt or whatever it was at the time there was always a reason like I'm too busy and then eventually I got to a point where I was just like I'm not happy and I was super I was awful to be around right before I decided to go back to school because I knew I had to change something and I was trying so hard to figure out what it was instead of just putting it out there and just being like I need a change and when I actually did, which I think I described in one of my first episodes was I just one day was sitting out on the porch. I was starting later at work that day. I was starting at one o'clock and I was sitting on the porch in the morning and it was in the summer. And I just wrote down, I want to quit my job. I don't know how, but it's going to happen. And within a month, I somehow like realized I wanted to go back to school. And so, but I realized like it was just me not choosing something different is me just complaining and staying in that cycle and feeling like a victim. I'd been in a car accident. So it was like, oh, I, you know, it's too physical. I can't do it. And then eventually it was just like, but I probably could if I just changed the way I was doing things. And so, yes, there are people who experience trauma and have systemic barriers, but I feel like if you don't have those, letting go of those stories and the struggle that we've experienced in the past can be really difficult. It is part of us. It's not that we have to pretend it didn't happen, but using it as a reason to not move forward at a certain point, if we're not seeking out help, like if it's a, if it's an issue of needing therapy or some support and we're not seeking that out, or if it's a matter of just choosing not to move forward, we have to some at some point address that if we want to move forward, right? If we're saying all these things, like, I wish I could do this. I wish I could do that. It's like, 
is it a wish? Is it really like a wish makes it feel like it's something that you have no control over, right? <laughs> like, I wish I could win the lottery. That's a wish because like I have no control. I don't pick the numbers, but I wish I could be an artist. Well, I could just do it. That's not just going to happen, right? <laughs> like if you start thinking about those things, like I wish and seeing what comes up, is it something that is going to magically happen or is it something you have to take action towards? So that's just like coming to me now. It's not even one of my notes here, but it's just like, that is such a huge shift that I just had just now. But like thinking about it, like if you're wishing for something, there's an indication there that like it's way out there in space, right? You're wishing on a star. You're like somehow magic has to happen. But sometimes that magic can only happen if you're going in that direction, right? <laughs> like you have to be moving already in order for things to start happening. Yeah, it's... It's just a conscious examination of ourselves, right? Looking at our lives from an objective standpoint and choosing to heal what needs to be healed is the first step and then taking intentional actions. And yes, it can be baby steps. Reading this book it gives you a good path for seeing where some of these self-limiting barriers might be coming from, right? Like these societal mindsets that we all just subscribe to without questioning them and honestly I think that like I said one of my strengths which you know this one is this chapter is recovering a sense of strength and that's internal right like that's built up internally it's like a workout right like this is overused so much and it annoys me so much but it's so true like your muscles are going to atrophy if you don't move. But if you're going and you're actively working them out, I actually today went for a long walk and there's a lot of hills here in town, especially in my neighborhood. And I was walking up this hill that you like even a month ago, even a freaking month ago, I would get like almost winded if I was walking fast. Cause I don't breathe properly. I like, that's something I'm working on that I'm getting better at, but I was really bad at like breathing because if I was having an intense thought which I usually am when I'm walking I'm not consciously breathing but I've gotten so much better at syncing those things like the movement with the breathing which sounds simple but for me was not and today I got to the top of the hill and I was still like moving really fast like faster than usual and I was walking down the street and I was, and I was like oh my god I just made it up the hill and was not breathless and then I walked up the six flights of stairs here in my building that I, I do every day that's one thing I'm also good at and it didn't feel hard. And it's like, yeah, because I did it every freaking day. I didn't just do it once and say, guess I can't do this. Like, you know what I mean? Like I stuck with it and I was like, I'm going to build this strength and I don't like doing it all the time. I don't like feeling winded. Like I don't love it, but now I'm feeling it less. And it's the same with like, I went back to school where the first few months when I was 12 years older than everyone in my class is difficult and a little uncomfortable. Sure. But after a few years, it was like home. And it's the same with, you know, the spiritual journey. Did it feel kind of difficult to focus my attention and get into a routine of pulling cards and doing my morning pages again every day and showing up to classes and trying something in front of other people? and doing practice readings for people and doing energy healing for people that I didn't know. Yeah, that wasn't easy necessarily right off the bat, but I also have done enough hard things in my life to know that it's only as hard as we let it be, right? It's only hard when we're unwilling to try, when there's resistance. That's kind of what I have for today. And I hope that resonates with you. 
Um, I do want to put it out there again. If anybody is listening, if you're getting anything out of this, I would like to do a few episodes in the next couple of weeks, just recording some interviews with anyone who would like to share what they've learned. And you can share if you're doing something creative, you can share your offerings. If you're doing something that you're putting out there into the world and you want, and you know, if you want to push yourself out of your comfort zone to share it with people and have people find you, um, this is a platform that you are welcome on. And I just want to put it out there that, you know, my life is significantly different from how it was, you know, five years ago, even from last year, my life looks a lot different and yours can too. And it does take you committing to something on a daily basis. And you made it through this hour long podcast episode and you're still listening. So, you know, you can commit to something and this hour probably flew by. Like, think about it. Did this feel like an hour? Are you sitting there? Maybe it did. I don't know. I'm not listening to myself for an hour, but you know, like when you think about how you could be spending an hour a week, right? Doing your artist date, choosing a course to do where maybe you're doing only a couple hours a week. If you just listen to this hour long podcast, you could do this to learn something new. I'm like feeling like I'm going to cry. Like, I really believe in you. You can do it. If it's something you're thinking about that fills you up with joy, when you think about how you could be feeling a year from now, you could be feeling that now. So let me know how you're feeling about this episode. I would love to hear about it. And I would love to allow you to share that so that everyone else can hear it and so that you can start putting yourself out there and start really making this a reality for you. Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Spirit Crumbs. You can find me on Instagram for this podcast at Spirit Crumbs, or you can also find me at Concrete and Crystals for my own spiritual offerings and more tidbits about my own journey. Thank you for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.